This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Last year, there was an event that's come to be known as Black Friday uh, in the Australian art sector when companies across the country lost their funding from the Australia Council because of the Australia Council's drastically reduced budget. So what do you do when you're uh, a long-running arts company, such as, say, your arena theatre company, uh, and you're, you have a strong program and you haven't been put on notice by the Australia Council, you have no warning that your funding is going to be cut, and suddenly you lose 45% of your income? How does a company cope? Well, what arena theatre company has done is they've, they've decided to relocate from Melbourne to a regional centre. Joining us in the studio to tell us a little bit more, we have Chris Christian Leavesley, the Artistic Director of Arena, and Lee Casey, who's a member of the board of Arena Theatre Company. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Richard. So, obviously, last year was a huge shock, and I imagine there there were tears, heartbreak, anger, and you would have uh, collectively, as the executive of the company and as the, 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 the board of the company, had to go, what do we do now? Do we actually, do we have to close down? Do we draw a line under it and walk away? Do we fight on? Lee, from a board perspective, what was the immediate response? Uh, well, all of those things, as you said, Richard, it was a pretty dark day. But um, for the board, we just, we really believed in the uh, the strategic plan that we'd presented the, to the Australia Council, which actually was about growth for the company and growth in terms of um, our education program as well as um, the theatre shows that we make and we tour. So uh, we didn't want to let that go. And for the board, we looked at a number of scenarios um, with the help of a lot of colleagues. One of them, as you said, was do we fold the company? Um, And the plan, I guess, that came out of it was that we were really committed to the to the growth strategy, and it seemed like uh, a regional relocation. Everything was aligning. Um, Bendigo was becoming the regional centre for culture in 2018, so it felt like uh, a really interesting idea for us in order to grow uh, arena and also to reach more young people um, and build our own audience around that. So uh, with the support of Credit Victoria and uh, other areas of the state government, we just went to them and pitched it and um, and spoke to a number of people within, within government and um, found fantastic support. Christian, in terms of relocating the company from South Yarra, uh, which is where you're based at the moment, and uh, to Bendigo. That's obviously uh, a big move in terms of geography for the company and for you and your family because it means that you're uh, moving from the city to a regional centre. But the plus side is that Bendigo, geographically located almost at the centre of Victoria, uh, and you can you can now actively change the touring model which exists in this country. Instead of making work in the city and taking it out to the regions, you can become a regionally uh, significant company uh, that tours work from the regions to the capitals, which is doesn't happen a lot in this country. No, no, that's exactly right, and it's one of the real attractions of um, of the early conversations. Um, and we'd been doing quite a lot of work in regional areas, and we really loved the kind of um, 
um, engagement that we were having and the way that the audiences um, in, in those places that we were going to really came to um, love us and be really interested in our work. And so um, we started to think, well, you know, that feels like a really strong base to tour from rather than almost begin a sort of a touring model from the outset in which, you know, in a certain sort of way, you, you know, you're touring to the art centre or you're touring, you know, to the MTC as a small company like us and then continue that tour to the Opera House or around the rest of the country. Um, I really love the idea of building building a, a company that uh, the audience loves. And so you have a home base and you have a home audience before you then take those, um, you know, the, the best of those shows around the country and, and hopefully around the world. And one of the other significant things about this move, of course, is that you'll be, you're going to become a resident theatre company in Bendigo and indeed with uh, the Capital Theatre, uh, and which I believe has a school basically attached to it. So the, the local drama students already uh, get to play in that theatre space. Suddenly you have... You, you have what, almost a resident high school, a resident secondary school to work with. Yeah, that's right. And it's the biggest, it's one of the biggest in the state. It's There's 1,800 year 11 and 12 students at that school. It's the biggest VCE provider in the state. And, um, yeah, it's quite true. We were there yesterday and there's, um, it's Tina Arena is on in the Alumbra Theatre. Um, she was on last night. I hope it went well. Um, <laughs> and um, there's a whole lot of, so they're bumping in that show. And at the same time, there's a whole lot of kids in the cafe there. There's um, a whole lot of students uh, in the studio. There's a dance studio there there's a whole lot of spaces um you know um connected to the capital and the alumbra and the school um and so you have both of these things happening simultaneously um it's a really great energy and it really feels like a place where they've got something really important to um to say about how community um and elite arts if you like um actually should be working together rather than separately I was just down in Launceston on the weekend and Launceston College for year 11 and 12 uh, have a big focus on, on arts and culture. So there's a number of, for a small city, uh, uh, there's 75,000, 80,000 people in Launceston. They have something like five theatre companies in the town because of that connection with the, uh, the, the, the school. So it really seems that Arena and Bendigo and the, the college there it seems like a really positive benefit and outcome. Lee, was it difficult to convince government to support this because I'm presuming the part of the reason for the move and the arg- the case you presented was, well, give us more money to make up the, the 45k that we've lost and in return you get these kind of developments and advantages. Talk to us about how Creative Victoria, the state government, and also how the city of Bendigo, uh, the city of Greater Bendigo uh, Council, uh, reacted to the uh, the proposal as well. Yeah, so uh, the state government were actually extremely supportive. I guess we've done a lot of work on being able to prove, I guess, the economic and social impact of ARENA, you know, over a 50-year period. it was It's really a very established company um, and so they could really see the value in that and they and um, they also see I guess what Bendigo is doing and they're really a town that do understand the economic and social impact that you know the creative industries can have a big part of our pitch I guess to both um, Bendigo and to the state government was about this uh, vocational pathways for young people. So you're talking Richard about um, the school being on campus um, and a lot of young people uh, when they finish school in Bendigo do leave the town. So we're looking at um, and it is one of those schools as well that's got quite a strong arts program. So we're really looking at I guess working with those students to offer um, training opportunities while they're in VCE, um, you know, through things like set design 
as well as acting and directing and and, um, more of the creative side of it. So that was really appealing to them. Um, Obviously, the TAFE there is... um, had closed and is being redeveloped. So, you know, there is a gap in terms of that. So I think that was really the strength of the pitch to both state government and Bendigo. The fact that, as you say, the the local students can come and gain professional experience Mm -hmm. working at a company, whether they're uh, looking at, as you said, set design or lighting design, acting as a craft, watching how a director creates a show from the ground up, not just with an existing script, but the idea of watching a devising process and a development process. Uh, in 20 years' time, there could well be, as well as Arena as a, a youth theatre company in Bendigo, you may well have a, a cultural impact that will inspire other people to stay in Bendigo and, and create their own theatre companies. Oh, I, I really hope so. I mean, I, I really hope that, that the next artistic um, directors of Arena all are people that we go and do workshops with um, in schools who help us build the shows and then come through, um, you know, a, a program where we, they work with us as actors or, or designers or, and, and so forth and then, you know, eventually take control of the, the company down the track. That's really, you know, the, the long-term vision for the company that, that um, I mean, that's as far as I'd go in my mind. The, the fact that there might be another five or six small companies... Um, uh, that, that spring out of it actually feels feels like a, a really lovely idea and probably it's the first thing that's going to happen when I think about it because there's, you know, there's, there's only one artistic director of Arena so probably these guys are going to come up and start building their own companies you know, before Arena's ready for them to take over. Uh, watch out for the daggers in the back or something. <laughs> <laughs> now... Bendigo as a city also uh, clearly is aware of the the value of cultural tourism. Mm. We've seen the growth of uh, the the Bendigo Art Gallery uh, and its international drawcard exhibitions. We've got the Bendigo uh, International Festival of Exploratory Music. The Bendigo Writers Festival has really uh, is flying the flag for culture in the region as well. So it feels like arena moving in there is in some ways the missing piece of the puzzle because you've got literature, you've got the visual arts, you've got uh, performative music uh, and now uh, youth theatre as well moving into the mix. It, It really seems to fit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of their kind of master plan was actually getting a resident company. So when we went to them with the idea, they were like, have you been reading our, you know, secret master plans? Because that was <laughs> sort of their intention in, in the long term. And I think, you know, the um, the infrastructure that they have there is is pretty, uh, you know, world class, actually. The Ulumba Theatre is, um, and is, is an extraordinary space. And they also have lots of small, flexible spaces. So um, they are a town that, you know, as I said, really values, I guess, the economic and social impacts that, that the arts can have. And I hear you're moving into an old fire station. <laughs> yes, that's right. It is an old fire station. It, has, it hasn't been a fire station for uh, for some years. I think 1991, they told us yesterday, was the um, the year that, that the, the capital kind of became the capital. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful building. There's a small theatre underneath and um, we'll kind of be I'll, I'll be based above it. Um, and um, it's one of those buildings that already is filled with um, lots and lots of character and you can feel the history of it. Um, and there's, you know, there's lots of work going on at, at the moment in there. So, you know, we, we had to kind 
of um, kick out some people that were rehearsing. David Chisholm, actually speaking of the <laughs> of, of the, the festival, they were they was supposed to be in the room that we you know, that we launched in yesterday, so we had to kick David out. He was more than happy um, for, for the for the half hour or so. Um, so there's a lot happening in there already, and it's a really beautiful space, and it's it's actually like a real privilege to be um, kind of handed it over in a, in a sort of way to be resident company there. I look forward to coming up and checking it out at some stage. Absolutely. So when the 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 this was all announced yesterday, when does the actual move take place? When do you yourself, Christian, move up to Bendigo? Um, I'll be moving up there between. Uh, I have to be there for the new school year. I've got um, one child in in school, so she'll need to start at the beginning of the new year. Um, my partner's already moved up half the week, so you know my family's in in mid transition. Um, as we speak, but um, it all depends about the grandparents and Christmas and, you know, some of those issues to see how quick. But we're going to get that up there as, as soon as we, we can, I think, you know, potentially um, before Christmas. But if not, then January we'll be, we'll be heading right up there. And the company, I guess, will sort of be active from around March next year and then um, hoping to premiere two works in Bendigo next year. Fantastic. I look forward to hearing about more details of that. If you want to know more about Arena Theatre Company, jump online, arenatheatre.com.au and uh, you can see their work coming to a theatre near you in Bendigo next year. Uh, Christian and Lee, thank you both very much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank you. episode of Doctor Who, uh, but which is a word invented by Australian scientists to describe the scent of eucalyptus oil being released from the soil after rain. There we go. You learn something new every day, particularly if you're a Doctor Who fan. We're going to talk Fringe. We're going to talk Melbourne Fringe and independent theatre, and uh, I'm delighted to have my next guests with me in the studio. Patrick McCarthy is a writer and director. Emily Tomlins is a performer. They're here to talk about The Sky is Well Designed, which is the latest work from an independent company called Fabricated Rooms. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Richard. Hi, Richard. Emily, you were in not so long ago talking about something uh, that your own company has made, so Mm -hmm. lovely to have you back. Lovely to be here. And Patrick, I haven't had you in the studio for ages. Yeah, it's been a little while. I think last time I made a show, I was on multi-storied instead, but it's good to be back on Smart Arts. Yeah. How long does it take you and your company to develop work? Uh, Usually the process is, at the moment, it's taking kind of two to three years from when I start writing uh, a work when it gets on uh, in terms of just development processes. I wrote this work in 2014 when I was I spent a year in residence with Chamber Maid Opera, who I'm sure your audiences will know, one of the great uh, contemporary performance companies of Melbourne. And, yeah, so I spent a year embedded in that organisation and that was really informative for the process of this work because I got to be around um, a lot of types of artists that I don't normally spend time with. I come from... from you know, pretty particular kind of theatre background. Um, but being a chambermaid, I was exposed to composers and musicians from um, really experimental and, and diverse kind of uh, performance um, backgrounds and, and practices. And that really exposed me to start thinking about, well, how might sound and music infiltrate my work, which is generally pretty quiet and conversational. Um, and that, yeah, it was really informative of, and, and being inside a company as well for a year just gave me time and space to um, do a lot of research and spend time finessing a work in a way that I maybe don't normally have time to do or aren't supported to do in that way. Um, 
And so, yeah, that we spent a year, I spent a year writing the text um, in 2014, then had a development 2015, again, at Chambermaid Opera as part of their little operations program. And uh, then it was um, basically a year of trying to find a, a home for it, in t- for a, a eventual production. And now we're here and uh, really happy to be presenting as part of Melbourne Fringe in the Darabin Arts Speakeasy program. I'm very glad it's being presented. Emily, tell us a little bit about the work from your perspective. Uh, The sky is well designed. Uh, Well, the premise of the work is that uh, two scientists uh, go out into the desert, into the Australian desert, to basically um, try to communicate or speak to the Earth's dying atmosphere. So basically they're they're out there trying to talk to the earth, um, plead with the earth, uh, because um, we are in a future, a not too distant future, where uh, climate change has, um, you know, the environment where we've kind of reached a a really critical um, stage. Um, And, you know, it's, it's possible that... Uh, it's irreversible and that there is no um, chance of, of hope left, but these two scientists are, are sent out on an experiment um, to try and see if they can do one last, last ditch attempt to, to try and save the world, I guess. So that's the, that's the general premise. And what's uh, the track that I just played, Petricor, got mm-hmm. to do with the show? Because uh, I do believe there is a connection. Yeah, I heard that word... Um, probably about five years ago. That was the, the first initial impulse for this work. So even, again, kind of tracking back to process of how long these things take, it's probably five years ago that I had the initial idea. And that starting point was, I think, reading that that word and realising that it had been coined by two Australian scientists in the 50s, um, which is just kind of cool in and of itself as a bit of trivia. Um, but that, that image of two scientists standing out in the desert trying to come up with language for something that no one, that everyone kind of was aware of, that there was this scent that would appear after rainfall, particularly in areas that are very dry where it hadn't rained for a long time, um, like in the Australian outback. Uh, but that there was no there was no term for that. And, um, and kind of reading a little bit about those two scientists and... Um, and their role in that image of, of kind of searching for language for something that's kind of would have, was previously indescribable uh, or unknowable in some way and then kind of cracking what was the cause of that. Um, I thought that was a really beautiful image and then that led into, yeah, a period of research around um, climate science and the kind of what's going on with that right now at this very critical time where that might go going forward. Fairly depressing reading, I would imagine. It was kind yeah. of, it's kind of inspiring as well. Like there's yeah. always incredible, um, like a lot of what informed the work in terms of where the research went after that was this period in the early 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century, where scientists were discovering and, and doing a lot of research into uh, electromagnetic energy in the Earth's atmosphere. And so one of the the kind of key points that the work touches on was this story of when um, Alexander Graham Bell was developing the telephone that his assistant Watson um, uh, would was assisting him through the day when they were developing that but because they were running really long t- telegraph lines at that time they were picking up there were these long strips of wire that went for um, you know kilometres um, they would pick up all this electromagnetic energy from the atmosphere which they saw as interference because they were obviously trying to speak clearly to one another 
um, but Watson identified all these aesthetic qualities within that noise and they didn't know what it was. And so there's what they didn't know, they filled with all this incredible um, speculation and, and creativity about what that might be. They thought maybe it was aliens trying to communicate with Earth. And there was a day in 1924 when they had a, like a worldwide day of um, radio science because Earth's orbit was drifting closer to Mars to see if they wanted to see if anyone was going to try and communicate. And they thought maybe it was ghosts or um, God or all kinds of things. And there's all these very human, um, beautiful qualities that they filled around things that they didn't know. And what's kind of interesting and where the narrative of the work ties in that Emily was talking about in terms of this future moment is that it, it presumes that because of the kind of um, economic and environmental destruction that something like climate change will cause, that a lot of information gets lost again. And we actually end up back at a point where we don't, we know bits and pieces, but we have a lot of missing things. And so you have to fill it with this kind of hope and fear and all this, these kind of human qualities. I think that interaction is really um, fertile for a piece of theatre and that has all this music in it as well. Mm. It really sounds like a, a very kind of rich and complex work. It is. It's. It, it is. It's a, a, a. Patrick's written such a beautiful script, and it's a. It's a very a kind of subtle work in a lot of ways, but the complexity is is huge. Um, you know, obviously we're dealing with all of these kind of um, very relevant issues, um, but there's also this lovely kind of current running through it, of. Uh, you know, the need for human connection and, uh, you know, it's a two-hander and it is a, a conversation uh, between these two human beings who happen to be scientists, who happen to be conducting these experiments and and trying to, to do this really important thing. But at the centre of it, it is also this um, this kind of exploration of, of the very basic human need for, you know, contact and connection, um, particularly in this kind of interesting, you know, environment and um, situation that they're in uh, where, you know, a lot of a lot of people have, have moved away. You know, there's obviously um, a, a lot of people are trying to kind of get away from, from the destruction and the, um, the kind of scary um, parts of, of, of the world and, and what the environment is kind of um, doing and what they've done to the environment. So it's, yeah, it's beautiful and it's very complex, but it's also um, quite, a, quite a simple, subtle conversation between human beings, which is beautiful. I love the idea that a, a piece of text-based theatre is being inspired uh, by, by music and, and experimental opera and that it's being inspired by uh, a scent and a, uh, and a struggle to describe that scent. So uh, words are clearly important in the work, but texturally uh, and emotionally it's clearly being informed by other art forms as well and other senses that uh, I mean the idea of utilising our sense of smell for example is not necessarily something that theatre often grapples with or is inspired by mm. yeah and I think that in trying to find solutions theatrically that and, and theatre is such a great art form in that in that it kind of I think there's a uh, Heiner Muller quote that like theatre is always trying to theatre everything that it, you can kind of pour anything into it and it'll it'll hold it um, in a way that maybe other art forms can't and so you can kind of put um, all kinds of different sound and music and and in this work we have um, our composer and sound designer Robert John has built a whole range of these custom, beautiful custom made um, uh, instruments that get played live during the show on stage 
um, that create this really rich, complex, some, at points overwhelming sonic environment. And so you can kind of put that in a show and it'll hold it and then you can kind of put language and writing in the show and it'll hold that too and you can put uh, different qualities of light and design influences into the work and it'll hold all of that together in a way that can be really fun. And I think what the challenge for us as makers is is to try and draw those things together in a way that mix in a kind of alchemy and then create something that feels hopefully like the kind of messiness and complexity of life in that Mm. um, touching on what you were talking about, like, I think for a lot of people that's kind of what life feels like at the moment. You kind of can go on Twitter and, and read about all this kind of horrendous, terrifying stuff that's going on, the kind of re-emergence of the threat of nuclear war and kind of ongoing threat of climate change that's hanging around everyone and incompetent politicians and all kinds of stuff. And then you can kind of go from that to walking through the park and listening to some kind of beautiful piece of music and smelling what the air feels like and then you can go and meet someone for a coffee and sit down and have this really nice, gentle conversation about um, their kid or something like that and, and how they're having difficulty with that and what they want and what, they, what they're scared of. And, and that can be just like a couple of hours of someone's life. So trying to take the kind of messiness of how we're all living at the moment and then try and figure out, well, what does that mean and how do we make sense of that and how do, you kind of, how do we all keep moving forward together when there's all this scary stuff happening but we still want to create stuff and we still want to take care of each other and we still want to feel things when there's but there's also this impulse to kind of shut off and to not mm. go outside and to kind of try and ignore it and so we're trying to find ways of threading all those ideas through the work what's your response to that oh uh, yeah i mean yeah i it's it's I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at it, actually. And I and I want to touch again on something that Patrick, or a word that Patrick used before, which was hope, because I think, you know, the interesting thing about this show is that it is dealing with uh, things that are terrifying all of us, I think, um, or sh- should be, Um but, you know, I think there's also this really beautiful vein of, of hope that runs through it as well um, through this through this connection and this interaction between these people but um, also through, through the sound and the design. Um, Robert Jordan has done the most amazing uh, job with this sound design and Ben and I both get to play these kind of crazy um, instruments that he's put together on stage and so I think it's going to be a really immersive, beautiful experience for an audience to kind of, you know, bathe in in some of that sound Um, and I I think all of that really does kind of emphasise the the beauty and the hope that we can find in all of this as well Um, as long as we keep on kind of connecting with each other and and you know and and doing things like going to a theater and sitting in a room and and acknowledging each other's existences you know i think that's that's really important at the moment that shared communal nature of theater is one of the things that i i find continually delightful and rewarding it's uh, yes you can go on your own and, and not talk to anybody and that's fine you yeah. sit in the corner sit in the foyer and sip your wine and go in <laughs> and see the show on your own but the sheer fact that you are being alone but with people around you rather than sitting at home tweeting angrily or, or feeling isolated and powerless is uh, there's, there's something kind of endearingly human about that and yeah. about that experience yeah yeah that was one of the things that came out um of spending some time with chambermaid because i think probably m- more than almost any other um uh, arts organisation in Melbourne, there's so much care and thought that they put into their work around 
um, around that communal experience of and they were around that time had come out of a few years of making work kind of exclusively in people's uh, living rooms and really like um, enriching communal experiences that you would have to kind of enter someone's kind of private home and and then stand around in the garden afterwards and talk about the show and why you have a wine or something um, but that year that I was there, there was kind of change in artistic leadership and they were starting to think really deeply about mediated experience, particularly around the involvement of technology in the arts, which is obviously a really um, significant factor. And that feeds really strongly into, I suppose, some of the ideas in this work um, and and the idea of live theatre in general, because so much of that, I find for me so much of my relationship with the natural world is mediated through technology that my experience with a lot of environments is much more likely to be through like a David Attenborough documentary Mm. on my iPhone while I'm like in bed than actually getting up and walking <laughs> through somewhere nearby that's really lovely. I, on the weekend, because I was down in Launceston, um, everybody had told me uh, that I had to go out and visit the Gorge. Uh, oh, yeah. And so on the final day, I'm like, right, my flight's in a few hours, so I get up at 7 o'clock on a z- zero-degree, one-degree morning or something, walk out through the uh, to walk through town and get to this amazing gorge, oh, which so it was exquisite. Yeah. Just to, yeah. to, to be... And lucky Launceston have that on the doorstep. No. Uh, but... The fact that I could walk across a bed of moss, for example, and, and look at a, at a peacock's feathers shining in the sun and then onto a suspension bridge and fresh air and, and cold air and that the, the, the invigorating nature of a crisp, cold Tasmanian morning. Yeah. yeah. It's much more exciting than uh, and sitting in my lounge room in Fitzroy and kind of... <laughs> Kind of watching that on th- through my phone, so, yeah, yeah, or getting angry Absolutely. about Trump or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to come back to the sky is well designed, which is the uh, the fringe show we're talking about, presented by Fabricated Rooms as part of the Melbourne Fringe out at Northcote Town Hall, supported by Darabin Arts. Um, given Emily that kind of your own company Elbow Room uh, just presented niche out there, mm-hmm. um, what's the experience been like of going from niche, which was about kind of pop music and and <laughs> the, the and viral culture and it was big and loud and and to a work like this, which I get the sense is much more contemplative and gentle. It, does it feel like moving from extremes? Or does oh, it-, it really, it really does. But I mean, that's that's probably one of the most exciting parts of my job is that I get to do, you know, kind of things that are completely, you know, on different ends of the spectrum. I mean, it's it's been really lovely. I have to say, I have less bruises on my body. Um, uh, <laughs> Thanks to the sky is well designed. Um, yeah, no, it's it's um, it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's just such a such a gift to, to be able to, um, you know. I think that's what's so amazing about independent theatre in Melbourne. There are so many different things going on, and you know, Fringe is so exciting because there's there are you're going to see you know hundreds of you know shows that are completely different to each other and that are dealing with all sorts of different things that need to be talked about or that people want to talk about or people want to explore um so yeah i mean it's yeah it it has been it was a bit of a kind of a a mind shift. Um, I was there on Monday morning after bumping out um, Niche on, on Sunday. Um, but Patrick's been very kind to me um, and so has Ben and everybody else. So it's, it's been quite a gentle process. But, um, yeah, it's just wonderful to, to be able to do all this really wonderful work and to work with such great people. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you and uh, your uh, fellow actor in this, Ben Pfeiffer, uh, on stage together. The work is called The Sky is Well Designed, written and directed by Patrick McCarthy. Thank you both for coming in and uh, 
Any other fringe recommendations before I let you go? Um, well, while you're there, you should stay around and see Two Ready Mirror, which is going on in Studio Two. So that will be on at um, we're at seven pm um, every night, and that's on at eight thirty. So that's definitely a great little kind of package um, to stay at Northcote Town Hall um, and see the Darabin Art Speakeasy program. Um, I've got a whole bunch of other things kind of circled in my fringe it's um, an endless list. guide there's yeah there's a lot i mean obviously you know it's so exciting just go to the hub as well and just you know uh, you, you can't go too wrong really with fringe Eaves, eavesdrop on conversations of people talking Absolutely. excitedly about things and then book to see it that's exactly right just follow you on twitter richard and then get all the hot tips yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> well i'll be uh, i hope to see a lot of this fringe sure so, but i definitely uh, am looking forward to seeing the sky is well designed it's on at northcote town hall uh at 189 high street northcote tram stop right outside very easy to get to um presented by darabin arts you can the speakeasy program there it's on from the 15th to the 28th of September uh, and you can book at uh, darabinarts.com.au or you can jump online melbournefringe.com.au The Fringe kicking off officially from today through until the 1st of October. Get out there and see as much independent art as you possibly can. I've been uh, chatting with Patrick McCarthy and Emily Tomlins. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks Richard. Thanks Richard. Uh, called Cheerleader. It's 20 minutes to midday. It's time for us to have our Dancing on the Radio segment. Gerard Van Dyke can't join us this morning, but instead I have a very special guest. Jonathan Holmesy is the Marketing and Media Officer at Ausdance Victoria, which is a, a peak body for dance in the state, uh, and has joined us to talk about a couple of things that Ausdance are doing. But uh, before we get into those, Jonathan, hello. Lovely to have you back in. First, I want to commend you on how did you do that in one breath? You just said all of that in one go. I can't even say all that in one go. So let's congrats to you first uh, on doing that. I'm, I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm kind of just getting my head around the enormous amount of art that uh, I'm going to be in, engorged on, uh, kind of inhaling in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's kind of this in September and October. It's just kind of a melee of the arts and it's almost like all this good food and where do you even start? Well, one place to start is perhaps thinking about booking for the uh, Australian Dance Awards, which are coming up on Sunday, the 24th of September, uh, in the Playhouse at Arts Centre Melbourne. Why does the dance sector need its own awards? I think it's just about, I think in the in dance, we are so analytical about our bodies and the way we dissect our practice. So I think there is time to celebrate. It's, it's a way to have a platform that we can actually all get together with dance. We're always so quite internal, even though we're quite external performers. We're really into our practice, as you know, when especially the Melbourne dance community. We all stay in our little groups and we rarely get to all come together in such an open environment. And that's why we have these awards. And it originally was a picnic 20 years ago, believe it or not. So it gone from a small picnic in Sydney to go from the Opera House. Now, 20 years later, it's back in Melbourne. And one of the things that awards do is it also provides the the mainstream media and the commercial media with a bit of a hook. It's one of the perhaps one of the rare times they will actually talk about and cover uh, dance as an art form. For example, we see it every year with the Helpmans. It's one of the or with um, I don't know uh, the. Uh, portrait prizes or whatever it's one of the few times that the mainstream media go oh art we i guess we should we should talk about art for a moment there's something about an award that people go oh well they're getting an award there must be good we should probably write about it i think it's because also like 
you can tell from my accent I'm American. There's something about that Western award shows that kind of bring the appeal into the mainstream media and seeing what people are getting up to and the things people are conjuring and also the performances that are happening as well. And we have eight performances from urban dance from Ron Rugged all the way in the Western suburbs to Ukrainian dance. There's Stephanie Lake Company who did um, Pile of Bones recently is doing a remount for the awards. So it's definitely a, a grab bag of things. It's uh, it's a grab bag, but it's also a, a rare opportunity for, as you say, for the different elements and aspects of the dance community to come together because often contemporary dancers go and see work by other contemporary dance makers for example but they're not necessarily engaging that much all the time with the community dance sector similarly the Australian ballet aren't necessarily engaging that much with the contemporary dance sector because they've got their own schedules their own routines and rhythms and so forth so the opportunity to get everybody together into the room at once to celebrate that sheer diversity of the the dance community is pretty rare and there actually is such a large diverse community in dance we really don't get to see them together for myself personally I'm a street dancer and a contemporary dancer, so I can kind of see from a bird's eye view how two of these groups that I'm familiar with don't get to intersect, and now we're having eight different groups intersect, um, which I think is really great and really quite rare, as you were saying. Well, just as to have kind of hip-hop next uh, on the same stage as um, an all-female Wurundjeri dance group, the Ukrainian dance company, as we mentioned, and then Steph Lake's work as well. It's it's, uh, unusual, but something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, and tickets only start at $38, so you're actually thinking about how many performances you're seeing. And of course, Yana Lana, which we could go on a total tangent for about her amazing talent and the ever-flexible Benjamin Hancock as well. They're really conjuring up some great surprises and I don't want to give them away, so, so you should just come and see and find so, out for yourself. So they're the uh, the MCs for the night. If you've not seen Yana Alana perform before, oh, you're missing out. So uh, that should be fun. And of course, as well as those performances, there are awards. There are awards. There are 12 awards. Um, for example, one of them has been revealed already, which is the Lifetime Achievement Award, which is going to Helen Herbertson. I call her, um, I remember her from my VCA days, I call her the Enigma. She's so mysterious, kind of like... De- it's not Daniel's son, it's Mr. Miyagi. He doesn't, she doesn't need to say much and she'll just tell you one word and will lead you in this kind of artistic inspiration to the nth degree. And of course, if you're a veteran in the Melbourne arts scene, you know about Helen's presence in the Australian dance community. So it's great for the younger people to learn about those people as well. I find a lot of people in my age bracket in the under 30s are really keen about history and re-kind of connecting to lineage. Um, so having these awards connects those people to the older generations in a way that's not just a history class or a daggy lecture or you catch my drift. Yeah, it's history alive and dancing and accepting awards and making a short speech on stage before your eyes. Now, the Australian Dance Awards, as we said, are happening on Sunday the 24th of September in the Playhouse at Arts Centre Melbourne and you can book artscentremelbourne.com.au or by calling 1300 182 183 and of course the uh, awards will be Auslan interpreted. But that's just kind of the entree to the main course. <laughs> it is just the entree. Which is you then right. happening over the next couple of days. The National Dance Forum, which is uh, an industry gathering, two days of really kind of getting kind of down and dirty with some of the bigger issues that the dance sector is exploring. Talk to us a little bit more about the I think the forum. I'll connect it to, is it Irene? I don't want to mispronounce her name from Outer Theatre Projects was explaining kind of the younger generation's 
work with digital technology and also in relation to how do you, without infrastructure, get bumps on seats? Because someone maybe 21 and younger would go, I can see that on Vimeo. I'll listen to the podcast. Why do I need to get up? And so that's kind of the issues we're facing in the dance sector, which is why we're doing dance in the digital domain. It's curated by Helen Simonson, um, the OG, as we say, in American hip hop culture at Acme and public and education programs, along with a really great curatorial team. And they're working things across two days to really get us to understand how do we use our digital sector, even if you're a novice, kind of dipping your toes into it and having a kind of healthy discussion and collision of practices. I really like the idea of not only uh, acknowledging that uh, the digital world is impacting the way we we present dance, for example. But it's also looking at how we can use that to best advantage, uh, whether it's um, 360 uh, degree videos, for example, or dance on in 3D in, in film. There are lots of applications. So this is really a, a, a two day opportunity to to not only grapple with challenges, but to really celebrate ways that dance and digital can intersect. And how we can do community engagement. So say, for example, I'm actually also presenting at the National Dance Forum, and I'm actually sharing, I actually run a virtual reality dance crew um, from America. I used to run lots of dance crews on that side of the ocean. And when I came here, I couldn't find the engagement I was looking for. So we went to a virtual reality model where people meet on Instagram, and then we rehearse in live, and then we do 360 filming. So I think there's other artists like that, myself and Megan Beckwith and others, that are trying to figure out how can we use this technology and still keep our live medium i think the same thing with the australian dance awards people tend to be separate in the physical realm then the digital domain people tend to be separate in the digital domain so how do we get them to have a healthy discussion not just some rant on a facebook thread you know what i mean like what is some more invigorating ways that is artistic and refreshing that in gets people to engage physically with the body dancing while still being in the digital realm. And I love the fact that you've got somebody from Acme kind of curating this rather than uh, an established dance practitioner or artistic director of a company, of a dance company or something like that. Somebody from outside the sector who will have a very different view than somebody within it who can't necessarily see the the forest for the trees. Because Helen and the wonderful team at Acme have curated many dance works. Of course, there is Gideon's... Remount was on the remount. It was Gideon's work on seeing a dance company stuck in the middle with you, which will also be presented at a national dance forum. And I also find from my experience that GP, general public, as we were saying earlier, and Irene was saying, really engage with virtual reality. They really are into the platform. So how do we get more of our sector engaging with that platform as well? Because the GP bite it up. They soak it up. Um, we had... Ozdance had a 360 film program at Gertrude Street Projection Festival, and the queue was 45 minutes for films. However, I didn't see any dance community in the audience. I saw GP. So how do we get those people buying tickets? And it's kind of a chicken or the egg question. How do we get all these people to mix together in some sort of digital, physical utopia? Any more adjectives I can add to that? (laughs) Jonathan, how many people are you expecting from the dance sector to attend the, the National Dance Forum? Well, so far we have a variety coming from national companies to independent artists, um, people from Queensland Ballet, Bangara, Sydney Dance Company, and also independent artists. So it's good to engage how the companies and kind of the big honchos, um, is that the right catchphrase, I think, <laughs> are working with, um, and also independent artists can deal with these same platforms. And also it's about infrastructure, as we were saying. 
it's some of these things are really expensive. And how do we start finding subsidies? How do we find government models? For example, Create New South Wales or establish a new Model 360 vision for 360 filming. So things are cooking. So we want to get the dance sector at that same pace as Irene's getting that same kind of pace with her um, community cultural development in theatre. Uh, so the forum is pretty much for members of the dance industry. I think it's anyone that's really interested in the digital sector. I've got to see some of the program, which you can check on the website Dance, AUSDance.org.au, and you see a variety of kind of questions being asked. Yes, it's always mainly for a dance focus, but there is definitely a performance focus, as Wesley Enoch is speaking, um, and of course his is mainly theatre experience, so he's looking at kind of dance from an outer lens. So, And of course in Melbourne, when dance is live art, and live art is dance, and what is dance, that would be a whole other show, as you know, Richard. <laughs> But that can be the next forum. Exactly. But it's interesting how we kind of deal with those perceptions inside a community and outside a community and how do we reflect that in a positive way. And it's um, right after, so don't have too many champagnes at the awards <laughs> or maybe too many whiskey dries. Um, it's on the 25th and 26th at VCA, just right down the road from the Art Centre. If you'd like to book or would like more information about the National Dance Forum 2017, Dance in the Digital Domain, ausdance.org.au. Uh, and if you are a dancer, whether you're a dance teacher or a, or a performer, whether you're in the uh, contemporary field, the commercial field, the community field, of dance, uh, you should probably become an Dance member as well. Member-based organisations and peak bodies uh, thrive on the input and engagement of people like yourselves. Uh, so the Australian Dance Awards are happening on Sunday the 24th of September at Art Centre Melbourne. Uh, you can book at artcentremelbourne.com.au and then the National Dance Forum following the next two days, the 25th and the 26th of September at the VCA uh, and more information there at Oz dance.org.au Jonathan Holmesy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And I just want to commend you again. I just, can you teach me some vocal lessons, how to do that in one breath? Like we might need to do some breathing exercises together. I need to learn that ASAP. As long as you teach me a couple of cool dance moves. Done. The exchange is ready. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.